Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. When Jesus ascended into heaven, his awestruck disciples were completely uncertain as to what was going to happen to them next. But their answer began in the same way it so often does for us, that we don't just stand there, we do something. And that's the title of today's message, which is based on the story of Jesus' ascension that comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You know, I think the thing that gets me the most about this text for this morning is that even after everything that's happened to those 11 disciples, they still don't get it. I mean, even after having followed Jesus now for, for three years, having heard his teachings, having seen him challenge the, the Pharisees and the scribes, even ha having experienced his kindnesses and, 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 and have seen so many witnesses, uh, so many miracles, excuse me, after having watched him die on the cross and yet were first-hand witnesses to his resurrection as he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, Luke tells us, even now, when all the hope that they'd once thought to have vanished forever turned out to be hope fulfilled, the life that truly is life, even at that very moment, after all of that, even when the future now lies wide open before them, those disciples still don't get it. Now, as we pick up the reading this morning, it is the day of Jesus' ascension into heaven. It is, almost without question, the most powerful farewell scene in all of human history. And it comes on the heels, by the way, of 40 days of instructions and teachings about the kingdom of God from the risen Christ himself. It is hard, if not impossible, to comprehend, at least in this modern time, what that must have meant. What it must have felt like for those disciples to ha have the risen Christ in their midst at that moment. And you would have thought, given all that, that they would have had questions. Lots of questions, especially given that there's also this sense, if you read the, the end of the four Gospels and this beginning of the book of Acts, that they must have had a sense that their time with Jesus was fleeting. Trust me here, friends. If Jesus were standing face to face before me at this moment here this morning, there are literally dozens of questions I would be asking starting at least on this particular week on how we're supposed to make this promise of peace on earth and goodwill to all a reality amidst the tragedies of this violent world in which we live. Surely, and, and, and maybe you thought about this too, surely if the risen Christ were standing among us right here and now, we'd be compelled to ask him all sorts of questions about the ways and means of love, both his love and our love along with questions about things like grace and justice, salvation and redemption, and yes, most especially about forgiveness. 
All of those questions come into play in our lives and in our world right about now, but they're always right there, truth be told. But, well, at least as far as we know from this first chapter of Acts, not so with the disciples. When Luke tells us that in the final moments just before his ascension, that Jesus is giving the eleven some last-minute instruction, what we learn that he is talking to them specifically regarding how the disciples ought to stay behind in Jerusalem and await an upcoming baptism of the Holy Spirit, which also, by the way, Jesus says is going to be happening not many days from now. It's amazing to me, friends, that there's not even any curiosity about that on the part of the disciples. Rather, they choose at that moment, those final moments, I'll say again, to ask, not for the first time, but but for the latest of several times, if now was finally going to be the time when the kingdom was going to be restored to Israel. And what this tells us is that even after all that I mentioned earlier, the disciples still were holding on to an older point of view that the kingdom of God was something that was going to be garnered and measured politically, that there was going to be some major military victory in their near future. Well, Jesus, of course, immediately and once again shuts down that kind of speculation. Is it is not for you to know the times and periods that the Father has set by his own authority. That's what he tells them. It's not the first time he has said something to that effect. He said many times before uh, the passion and the resurrection that we would ne- not know the day nor the hour. But still the disciples ask and still Jesus answered. And I think the reason that Jesus was very quick to shut that down is because it wasn't the question that needed to be asked at that moment. (laughs) And even as he's been lifted up into heaven, even as he's rising above them and going up into the clouds, Jesus continues answering the question that does need to be asked, the one about the promised gift of the Holy Spirit that's just about to be given to them. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's it's a small distinction, but the text tells us that as he is saying this, he is being lifted up into heaven. So these are literally Jesus' parting words to the disciples. And here's what I mean when I tell you this morning that the disciples really didn't get it. They definitely didn't get it. Jesus is saying all of this to them. He's giving them this crucial instruction that says everything they need to know about their mission in this future that's about to unfold. And the disciples, they're just standing there. They're just standing there on this hillside and they're watching Jesus go. Now, i got to be fair here. The experience of the ascension itself had to have been for them otherworldly and awe-inspiring, to say nothing of overwhelming. And so you can understand how the disciples might have been a little distracted at that moment. 
Still, if you're like me, you gotta be thinking, if we've been there, surely we'd have said something. Or at the very least, one or two among us would be bold enough to call out to Jesus, even as he is drawing away from them, and to say, hey, 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 Jesus, wait a minute. What's this you're saying about power? And what do you mean, witnesses to the ends of the earth? You didn't say anything about that. Jesus, that's not what we signed up for. A little above our pay grade. We're just fishermen, Jesus. But you see, no, there's none of that. What we're left with as our risen Lord and Savior is lofted to the skies is the sight of this motley assortment of former fishermen, thieves, and tax collectors, each one of them staring up at the sky, all slack-jawed and buggy-eyed and, quite frankly, scared to death. Actually, when I think about it for a minute, maybe I got this all wrong. Perhaps the disciples did get it, and that was the whole problem. I think I have shared this story with you before, but it bears repeating. I'm remembering very well, uh, because there are so many graduation ceremonies going on around right now, I'm remembering my own graduation from seminary that actually took place 38 years ago this weekend. And in particular, I'm remembering the moment when Dr. G. Wayne Glick, who was the president of Bangor Theological Seminary at that time, looked out, we were at the Hammond Street Congregational United Church of Christ where we had our graduation, and he looked out into the pews of our little group of soon-to-be church pastors We who had, by the way, just completed three full years engaging in intense Bible study, we who had wrestled with theological conundrums both old and new, we who had struggled with all the -the on-the-job training that comes with being student pastors, we who believed in our heart of hearts that we were now ready to take on the world for Christ's sake, and in his rich Appalachian drawl, Dr. Glick said this to us. You people, he said, you people think you have learned all you need to know in the seminary. Well, I am here to warn you that the learning has just begun. To employ the language of the Old Testament, oy vey. Now, It's a long time ago. And I can't tell you how the rest of my clergy-type classmate reacted to that statement, but in that moment of commencement, the very word commencement means to start. At that very moment of commencement with my own ordination to the Christian ministry coming up in just a few weeks from then, I am now sitting in that church pew at the Hammond Street Church, and I think to myself, well, after all of this... Now what am I supposed to do? So it was for the disciples as they stood there together watching Jesus go. What were they supposed to do now? Did Jesus really, seriously think that they were going to carry on his work without him? 
Was he serious about them taking the word from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth? I mean, spreading the word at home is one thing. I mean, you just are out there. You just let it be known what you're thinking and, and the news you have to share. But, but to do this across the entire known world, well, that's something else altogether. They didn't understand. Perhaps they never fully understood. Have you noticed as we go through the Gospels and we, we read about Jesus and his relationship with the disciples, there's always some verse in those readings that say, the disciples as yet did not understand the scriptures. They didn't get it at all. But who would? I'm thinking now that suddenly in this moment of ascension, the great scope of Jesus' call of discipleship hit home. And all they could do about it then was just to stand there and watch as Jesus and the cloud disappeared from their sight. Luke does not tell us in this first chapter of Acts how long the disciples stood there. I have an idea that it probably was for a long time. As though maybe if they stood there long enough, maybe Jesus would come back and say, oh, and one more thing. But no. Luke only tells us that suddenly there are two men in white robes who appear before them and they ask the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking towards heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. In other words, and this is the Lowry translation, you Galileans, you people who are calling yourself his disciples, why are you still out here staring up at the sky? Your time has come. There's work to do. So don't just stand there. Do something. Yes. Don't just stand there. Do something. Here they were, these disciples, standing in a place between the ascension and the return. Remember what we say in communions. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Here they were between those, the last two of those things. They were there somewhere between the promise and the fulfillment. Somewhere between dead center and the outer reaches. Somewhere between now and not yet. And, and the disciples, quite frankly, had already come a long way to get to that place. But these white-robed visitors, they were right. There was much work to be done. And so as scared and uncertain and ill-equipped as they may have felt themselves to be, they still needed to get to it. As Dr. Glick told us 38 years ago, so it was for them. Their journey and their learning was only just beginning. I love what Barbara Brown Taylor has written about this. It comes from her book, Gospel Medicine. And in that book, she says that no one standing around watching them that day could have guessed what an astounding thing happened when they all stopped looking into the sky and started looking at each other instead. But in the days and the years to come, it would become very apparent. 
with nothing but a promise and a prayer, Taylor writes. These 11 people consented to become the church, and nothing would ever, ever be the same again, beginning with them. The followers became leaders. The listeners became preachers. The converts became missionaries. The healed became healers. The disciples became apostles. Witnesses of the risen Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, surprising things, many surprising things also began to happen. They began to say things that sounded like him. And they began to do things that they had never seen anyone but him do before. They became, concludes Taylor, believers. Believers who were brave and capable and wise. They became the church. They were formed into a gathered community of people who were bound by a common mission and a shared calling. Called to witness unto the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they began that witness in those times and situations perhaps when only two or more were gathered. Actually in but then eventually, actually in the scheme of things, fairly swiftly, they began to witness to this good news throughout Jerusalem, and then outward to Judea, then to Samaria, and then, just as Jesus had said to them, even to the ends of the earth. They were being called to a mission, a mission that grew and took form and endured throughout the centuries. And friends, it is the same calling that is extended and continues in you and in me today. Because, you know, lest we forget in these days of dark and confused situation, the story of Jesus' ascension into heaven and the story of 11 disciples who initially had very little sense of how to proceed, this story of, of an improbably open-ended mission that led to places no one could have possibly foreseen. This story that exists between the now of the world we, as we currently know it and the not yet of the world as it is promised it will someday be. This story, it's our story just as much as it was theirs. And as the church, you see, as the church of this generation, we are the people who carry on the mission. In every generation, you see, the question's always been the same, hasn't it? When is the church truly being the church of Jesus Christ? Now, how that question gets answered, the way that that faith is expressed most certainly has grown and adapted over the course of those generations in keeping with changing times and the new challenges of the people? But ultimately, the answer to that question, when is the church truly being the church, the answer's never changed. The answer is, we are the church when we are living wholly and completely 
as witnesses of the risen Christ. We are the church when we speak boldly of the truth of Jesus' teaching, by our words if necessary, but most importantly by our example. We are the church when we bring that world to people into a world that is hurting profusely and is desperate for love, for justice, and a peace that the world cannot ever provide. We are the church when we are bold enough, courageous enough to stand up to, and more importantly, to work against the violence that is seeming to overwhelm us in these times. We are the church when you and I make the commitment to not be passive about moving into the future, to not let ourselves become diminished by whatever the world's latest set of priorities and politics happens to be, but rather when we let the power of God's own Holy Spirit be our own dynamic as persons and as people. So we might truly be part and parcel of the furtherance of God's kingdom within us and all around us, starting right here on Mountain Road, extending out to the the community of Concord, to the larger community of New Hampshire, throughout our nation, and even, yes, to the ends of the earth. We are the church when we answer that call, when we do that mission. Don't misunderstand me here, friends. For us to be an effective witness is not to be measured by the size and scope of the effort, but rather it is measured by its sincerity, by the depths of its love. Just as was the case for those 11 men who were called out of their old lives to become disciples of Jesus. Each one of us here is called to be a witness to the risen Lord. Living testimonies to the kingdom of God. That kingdom that's taking root and flourishing in our midst, despite all worldly appearances to the contrary. What we do in this place, in this sanctuary, in this church family but also what we do out those doors serves to proclaim the ways that faith informs and directs what, for the sake of that faith, we intend for one another, for our families, for our friends, for our community, and for the world. We are called to be about the work of the kingdom. And and by the way, I was just thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready to come here. Don't forget that the very first thing those disciples do after they finally stop standing around is they go to the the upper room as Jesus directed them to wait for the Spirit and to be devoted to his teaching and to prayer. You'll find that a recurring theme in the book of Acts 2. We're going to do a little bit of a survey of Acts in the coming weeks. It starts with prayer. It starts with worship. But then it continues with moving on.
Beloved, our time is here. Our time is now. So let's not just stand here. Let's do something. Let's go out there and do something for the sake of the kingdom. To do something by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. Let's go out there and let the good news be heard and seen in us, in our example, in who we are. And as we do, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Don't Just Stand There. It was recorded during our May the 29th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off Exit 16 on I-93. If you're looking for a place to worship, we'd love to have you join us. We are a small, mighty, and very welcoming congregation, and I think you'll be glad you came. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you not only for listening today, but also for your continued support of this podcast over the past three years. And we're just about to begin season four. So until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.